God of all wisdom, you have promised to speak to us through your living word. So now, as the scripture is read and Pastor Dale preaches your word, open our ears and hearts to receive your spirit of truth. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 10 through 14. Hear the word of the law, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd of flock. For the law has ransomed Jacob and had redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the law, over the grain, the wine, and oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their lives shall become like a water garden, and they shall never languish again. They shall, the young woman, rejoice in the dance, and the young man and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give the priests their fill of fatness, and my people shall be satisfied of my bounty, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I begin the sermon this morning, I would ask for your prayers for my daughter Sarah and her husband Corey, and especially for Corey's parents, Chris and Sam. Chris was diagnosed with ovarian cancer six months ago, and when Sarah and Corey left Montana to come here for Christmas, Chris went to the hospital. She was suffering from dehydration and after that from fluid retention, but the real problem is that her cancer has never responded to the treatments. So there were many calls back to the hospital in Billings while uh, Sarah and Corey were with us, and then they left just a day after Christmas to go back to the hospital and be with Chris. Last Thursday, Sarah called us in tears. Uh, the family had had a family conference with the doctors, and the doctors told them that Chris had three to five weeks left to live, and the family hadn't seen that coming. They weren't ready for that, though they were worried about Chris. And then yesterday, she called back and said that the doctors are now saying at most two weeks to live. So uh, Jenny and I are leaving this Thursday to go to Montana. We want to see Chris before she dies, and we want, of course, to be there to support Sam and Sarah and Corey. I think for Sarah, this is the first time she has been up this close to a sorrow so deep. But you and I know that her sorrow is not unique. 
that in fact sorrow is a part of the human experience. That even though we try to live our lives in a bubble, if we should do that, and avert our eyes from the sorrow around us, if we live long enough, sorrow will come to us. There's an interesting verse uh, in the reading from Jeremiah that Ben just read to you that refers to things that are too strong for us. Things that are too strong so that we cannot prevent them from coming to us. And certainly death is the chief of those and the separation and the sorrow that comes with people we love dying. So sorrow is a part of the uh, human experience of life. But this sermon is not about sorrow. This sermon is about the promise of God at the end of the reading from Jeremiah, where God says, I will turn their grieving into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow, and my people will be satisfied, says the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah wrote those words. He was living in the time, in the years before the Babylonian exile of Israel. And of all the people who said they were prophets in that time, Jeremiah was the one who saw the storm clouds gathering. He was the one who seemed to know that the Babylonian armies would come and besiege Jerusalem and the city would be destroyed with much loss of life and the people would go into exile. So for most of the 52 chapters of Jeremiah, he is lifting his voice, he is crying out to the people, trying to warn them, trying to prepare them for a great sorrow that is coming. But right in the middle of the book of Jeremiah, there are three chapters, chapter 30, 31, and 33, that the Bible scholars call the Little Book of Consolations. And in these three chapters, Jeremiah lifts his eyes above the gathering storm, uh, tries to see God, tries to listen for the goodness of God and the love of God, and give that to the people as a promise that the sorrow is not forever and that God will be faithful uh, through all their experiences until they have joy again. So chapter 31 begins, for example, with God saying this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I love you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I will continue my faithfulness to you. No matter what's coming, I love you with an everlasting love. I will continue my faithfulness to you. And then in the part of the passage that Ben read to us, it begins with, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, meaning all you people, declare it far and near, that though Israel is scattered, God will gather us. God will be as a shepherd to us. God will ransom us and rescue us from the things too strong for us. 
God will rescue us from the things too strong. And the people will come and sing aloud. They will be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. They will be like a watered garden. They will never languish again. The young women will rejoice in the dance. The young men and the old shall be merry. And I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow, and my people will be satisfied, says the Lord. In this little section, these three chapters, though Jeremiah knows the devastation that's coming, he gives them these promises from the Lord. And Jeremiah is not one who tried to live in a bubble, uh, averting his eyes from the sorrow of the world. He was grounded in that sorrow. You, you could see it in the very next verses of Jeremiah 31. These are words that Matthew quotes when King Herod kills all the little boys in Bethlehem. We heard that scripture reading last week. It comes from this chapter of Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Jeremiah is grounded in that reality. Rachel refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. And yet, Jeremiah says, God's word to Rachel is this. There is hope for your future. Your children shall come back to you. Though her children are no more, yet they will come back to her. Now, what would be required to make these promises true? If we just look at life in this world, we know these promises are not true. There are things too hard for us. We cannot prevent death from coming to us. We can't prevent the sorrow of the separation of loved ones. If we're only looking at this world, these promises are not true. So what does it take for them to be true? Well, I think several things. First of all, it would require that God have some way to preserve our life even through death, even through destruction, that uh, God would rescue us, as it says here, from the hands too strong for us, from the things that we cannot prevent. There's got to be some way that God rescues and preserves us, something like resurrection, something that brings life beyond the grave, beyond this world. It has to be a bigger picture than just this life for these promises to be true. So the first thing is some way that God preserves our life, even through dying. Now the second thing that would be needed is what the Bible calls salvation. But that word is not a religious word in the Bible. It basically means wholeness. It means that we be healed, that we be made whole, body and spirit, that everything about us that makes us 
fragile and frail and holds us back, that that would all be taken away, it would all be healed, so that if uh, we get frail because of cancer and die in life beyond the grave, we don't have that anymore. Our bodies are healed, our spirits are healed. Uh, the things that we do that create damage that the Bible calls sin or falling short, that create damage uh, in our relationships with each other and with God. Those things need to be healed. We need a wholeness. We need a salvation. So first that God preserve us somehow through death into life beyond death. And second that we have, that we are given a healing, that we are given a wholeness in that life beyond the grave. And the third thing that would be needed is reunion, a gathering again of the people that we've lost, that we've let go of, a kind of a homecoming um, celebration for the people, for Rachel's children who are no more, but she will have them back. Uh, Chris's brother, her older brother, called her this week in the hospital, and among other things, he said to her, I thought that I would die before you. And Chris said to him, well, I guess I'll see mom and dad before you do. And see, that is the longing of the human heart. We want our loved ones back again, the ones that we've lost, the ones that we have let go of. And this is exactly uh, the reunion that is being described in Jeremiah chapter 31, when the young girls at the end of the reading are rejoicing in the dance and the young men and the old men being happy together. It's the picture of a homecoming celebration, the people regathered, the people brought back. There's a place earlier in Jeremiah 31 where the people cry out, save us, O Lord. And the response of God is, I will, re I will gather you. I will bring you home. Um, and even God will bring the ones that we never expected to be there, never expected to make it to that homecoming. In the image of the return from exile, what God says is, I will bring the blind and the lame and those who are with child and even those who are in labor, the ones that we think they could never make the journey, they would never survive it, God will bring them, and they will be there. In the New Testament, in our reading from Ephesians today, did you catch where it said, God has set forth in Christ a plan for the fullness of time to gather, to gather all things, things in heaven and things in earth, in Christ. So those are the things that I think we would need to make these promises true for us, particularly the promise of gladness for sorrow and that we would be radiant at the goodness of the Lord. We would need a way that God preserved our life even through death so that we were still us and we would need salvation, we would need that healing, that wholeness and we would need reunion, that gathering in, that homecoming of those that we love. 
And friends, that is exactly what God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, still in the little book of Consolations, in chapter 33, it mentions one who will come, who is a righteous branch for David, who will bring justice and righteousness to the land. And everybody knew that was a reference to the coming of the Messiah, to the coming of the Christ. If we would read a little further in chapter 31, we come to the famous part where God says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant between God and the people of God. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, know the Lord, for they will all know the Lord. From the least to the greatest, they will all know the Lord and I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sins no more. The day will come when God creates or did create a new covenant with the people. Friends, the word covenant and the word testament are the same word. The New Testament is the new covenant. And it's all about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, what God has prepared for us to change our sorrow into gladness. When we celebrate communion, every time we celebrate, do you remember what it was that Jesus said about the cup in communion? Remember Jesus said, this cup is the sign of what? A new covenant between God and the people of God. The forgiveness of our sins, the invitation to eternal life through the living and dying and rising of Jesus Christ. All these things that are necessary to make these promises true, God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ. And the end of things, uh, we read about in Revelation chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And God was there. It says the home of God was among the people. God dwelled with them as their God, and they were God's people. And God was with them. And it is God who wiped away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have all passed away. Do we trust that God sees a bigger picture than we could ever see? Do we trust that God has loved us with an everlasting love and will continue to be faithful to us? If we trust those things, then we can begin to have confidence that the day will come when all these things are true, when we are radiant because of the goodness of God to us when our mourning is turned to joy, our gladness, our sorrow turned to gladness, and when the people are satisfied with the Lord. That means the day will come when we don't have the questions for God that we have right now. The questions like, why, O Lord? Or didn't you hear my prayer, O Lord? Or how could you let this happen? We won't have those anymore. 
The day will come when we stand in the presence of the living God on the other side of this life, and we are radiant with the gladness at the goodness of the Lord. That day will come. God will give us gladness for sorrow. And though sorrow is a part of our lives, it is not meant to be the end of things. God loves us with an everlasting love. God has prepared all things for us in Christ. God will be faithful, whatever comes, and will give us gladness to replace our sorrow. Let us pray. Lord, you know us. You know our sorrows. You know the sorrows from years ago, from people we have lost long ago, and yet we still experience the separation. You know the sorrows that are new and powerful for people right now. We thank you for your everlasting love. We thank you for the promised day when our sorrow will turn to gladness. Uh, until that day, O oh Lord, let us live with these promises in our minds that we might know that you are good and that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.